Guys, welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today is going to be a fun show with Chris Rowe of Rowe Hunting Resources, and he's always a popular guest here on the podcast. Before we get to that, I want to thank the sponsors of this podcast, uh, Kuyu Ultralight Hunting, uh, Kuyu Mobile Showroom. This week is in Omaha, Nebraska, August 3rd through the 5th, then Kansas City, Missouri, Oklahoma City, Dallas, Texas, Houston, Lubbock, Albuquerque, Grand Junction, Salt Lake City, Cedar City, Las Vegas, Phoenix, San Diego, Los Angeles, and Reno. To check out those times when they're going to be nearest to you, go to kuyu.com. I encourage you to go check out the mobile showroom. You can try on any of the Kuyu gear. They have every single size, every single piece of gear from from boots to, to backpacks to uh, all, all of the clothing and such that Kuyu has. So go check them out. Uh, also, thanks to GoHunt.com Insider. Uh, if you use the J. Scott promo code when signing up for the Insider, you get a $50 uh, store credit at the Go Hunt uh, gear store, the gear shop. Uh, make sure to check them out at GoHunt.com. Uh, the the best Western hunting resource out there as far as trying to figure out where to hunt, uh, the draw odds, statistics, and what have you. Phenomenal resource. I want to thank those guys. Also, Phonescope.com, Cheston Davis. Use the J. Scott promo, J. Scott 16 promo code, and you get a 10% discount there on all Phonescope products uh, through Phonescope.com. Uh, Cody Nelson, the Outdoorsman's in Arizona. Uh, J. Scott promo code. You get a 10% discount there. Guys, uh, thanks for supporting these sponsors. Uh, they're they are the ones that make this podcast possible. And then thanks to you guys for your avid support. Uh, you can send me an email or a direct message on Instagram. My email is jscottoutdoors at gmail.com. Uh, I love getting comments and questions uh, from you guys, the listeners. You can also send me a direct message on my Instagram account. That's at jscottoutdoors. I appreciate all the support there on my social media. Uh, let's get right to this episode, and guys, hunting season is coming. Uh, hopefully, uh, you guys are ready. I know I'm just excited. We've got a goat hunt coming up here, and uh, lots of great stuff. So, uh, let's get right to this episode with Chris Rowe of Rowe Hunting Resources. Cool. How you been, by the way? Good. Good. It's been a, you know, Gene and I were saying the other day how fast the summer's gone. Um, I've just been fishing a ton, and exercising a ton getting ready for this goat hunt and um it's got you know now we're sitting here i'm like man i leave for the goat hunt in nine days it's uh kind of hard to believe yeah i didn't realize i forgot it was in august yeah yeah no it's um it's it's been fast but uh yeah it's been a great summer so far so yeah you 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 gotta start you've been how many people have you guided so far this year oh actually here i don't guide anybody i only take no, i mean i mean take oh, oh yeah well, tons i monty yeah. monty was here for uh two weeks and we fished our brains out um well i should say he fished his brains out but we had a great time and it's yeah i mean i've been probably fishing more this summer than i've i mean it's been it's been awesome it's been a good summer a lot of water in colorado so it's been good nice nice sweet 
Everything else going well? Yeah. Um, you know, the goat hunt is going to be an interesting one because I've never been to Alaska. So, the, you know, I've never hunted mountain goats. Uh, I've seen very, very few mountain goats in my life. So it's going to be a whole new experience uh, from a standpoint of, you know, just Alaska's new, goats are new. You know, quite honestly, doing backpack hunts, they're not necessarily new, but I haven't done one in a while. Um, and then as far as getting my body prepped, you know, I feel like I've done a pretty good job of getting ready. I feel, I feel, uh, ready to go. Um, and on the turkey front, uh, had good bookings for the Goulds, um, for the, on the coos deer, got a pretty full slate of coos deer hunters. Um, I just booked a desert bighorn sheep hunter uh interesting scenario for this year um uh my hunter is uh because of an unfortunate accident when he was 18 uh he is paralyzed from the waist down and um the unit that he drew is actually well he put in for it for the reason of it's probably one of the only units where potentially you know you can get around on the roads and have a chance to harvest a ram and he has uh, I think it's a champ permit. I forget exactly what they call it, but where he can actually um, shoot from a vehicle. And um, yeah. But it, it, it's going to be a challenge, you know, because we're going to have to find a ram that's, you know, willing to, you know, kind of put up with us driving up and getting within, you know, three or 400 yards of them. Um, but I'm excited for the challenge. I think it'll be a cool opportunity. And, you know, yeah. You, you, it's real easy for us to take our health and our ability to use our legs and what have you for granted. And then, you know, you hear, you know, I, I haven't met this guy yet, but talking to him, you realize, you know, he still hunts. He's hunted, uh, you know, Africa five times. He's hunted all over the world. He's got like a, I believe he's got an elk hunt, a champ permit in, in uh, New Mexico. And, you know, he's still hard charging out there going for it. So it's, pretty neat pretty pretty neat to see that yeah nice nice that's cool that's cool so you guys all set and ready to go i mean how long is your goat hunt the goat hunt we leave on the 11th um from here we go to i go to denver i'll meet dar on the morning of the 12th in seattle from there we get on go on the same plane uh, from Seattle to Anchorage, Anchorage to Kenai. Then we stay the night there. I believe that's the night of the 12th. And then we fly out on a bush plane, I believe on the 13th. And then we're scheduled to be picked up on the 20th, or let's see, I think the morning of the 20th, um, be picked up by the bush plane, a uh, float plane, and brought back to Kenai, and then then I head out. I think that afternoon. So, you know, it's a fairly short hunt. Um, I don't know how many. What is that? Six, seven days of hunting. Dar's gonna take his bow. Gonna try and do it with his bow, and I'm gonna take um, the rifle, and so we'll be able to ham and egg it pretty good. Hopefully, we can, you know, um, get Dar <laughs> in on on whatever goat he wants and let him, you know, try and get it done. And then, uh, yeah. And then, you know, from my perspective, him getting one with the bow is kind of primary, uh, in my mind. And then, 
um, we were laughing the other day. I'm like, do I even have to shoot one? He's like, yeah, you have to shoot one. I'm like, okay. <laughs> um, You'll want, you get up there and start see it. You're going to want to shoot one. There's no yeah. question about that. They're awesome. Yeah, I mean, they look awesome. I've studied up on them a little bit, and they just, you know, the country they live in. You know, the thing that's kind of um, surprising, you know, being here in Colorado with the high elevation, as you know, um, you know, you get used to all the training and stuff at high elevation, and, you know, and it may just be particularly where we're hunting. Uh, It's not super high elevation. I mean, it's a couple thousand feet, and it's even above timberline at a couple thousand feet, which is which is kind of hard to believe. But it's um, from a from a lack of oxygen standpoint, uh, it's going to be kind of nice to having trained up here since you know May fifteenth or sixteenth. You know, high elevation to go there where, you know, it's going to be steep, no doubt, but at least. the air won't be as thin. Yeah, your your legs are gonna work. You there's no no doubt about that. But no, yeah, I, I I'll tell you right now, I I liked I enjoyed my bighorn sheep hunt, and I I probably would do one again. But it is not even remotely a high on my priority list. But man, oh man, goats! I that that was that I got that was fun. That was. Did you I, go I, archery? I did. I tried. Yeah. Hey, did I went, you go Colorado? Did you draw Colorado or where did you go? Yeah, I drew Colorado and, and I went to camp with both my bow and the rifle because the weather was just so stinking windy. I was like, well, I better have both. And it's a good thing I did. Um, and I, you know, I had a chance early. That's when I went with a buddy of mine and, uh, you know, hindsight 2020 huge. We, I found two just literally top tier giants um and so i was hell-bent on killing one of those two giants and then a a truly big goat showed up closer to camp on our way in and so i was like no go ahead and you shoot that one with a right well he took a couple shots and it disturbed the whole valley and sent my goats into the cliffs and up and out of the unit and gone and so i was pretty devastated but i i hunted the rest of that I think it was a two week or some, yeah, two week season or something like that. And then finally towards the last, the second to last day, I found a, a young Billy and I just shot him with a rifle, but I, you know, hindsight 2020, and this is for you in Dar. Yeah, seriously. If it, if it's a good goat, you know, a big horse face, you know, a mature goat or whatever, just, yeah, don't get, don't get cocky with it. I mean, yeah. Have him shoot, shoot it with a bow. If he can, if he can get a good shot at a bow, take one with a bow because it's just, it's just cool. Yeah. But they can suck up a lot of lead. I'll tell That's you that. That's what everyone keeps saying. Um, and uh, Chris, I'm just going to let this roll because we're having good conversation. Uh, everyone keeps saying that that uh, the goats, from a rifle standpoint, just pack a bullet like they've never seen any other animal, and. Um, you know, I've, I've talked to a few guys that say, you know, when you shoot them with a the bow, surprisingly, they, you know, they go down pretty fast, a bunch of them. But for whatever reason, they say when you shoot them with a the rifle, they can just pack it. So they're like, keep shooting until they're absolutely down. Yeah. And I, and I think if you, if your first round goes right there in the heart, in that art, you know, the, the arteries around the heart and that type of stuff, I think he's going to go down pretty quick. But if you just double lung them or you, you know, you know, a lot of people, you know, different, you know, you never know what angle that goat's going to be yeah. facing. So if you're trying to do a quartering on or, you know, if you're hitting anything but vitals, that adrenaline spikes. And I mean, 
Good luck. <laughs> they, a lot of guys are saying they jump off cliffs. Just they're just crazy. Like they get hit and they just they take a fifty yard dash and just go diving off the nearest cliff. Yeah, just take your take your time, <laughs> squeeze the trigger, and anchor that sucker. Yeah, uh, it, it it's gonna be fun. Um, I I feel like I'm I'm physically prepared. Uh, you know, it's funny next year. I, I don't know if I told you, but I've got a Northwest Territories sheep hunt in, uh, yeah. July of next year. And I, I want to be even more prepared next year, just from a standpoint of it's, you know, a, a longer hunt. And I, I think we're going to be covering a lot more country. I don't think we're going to necessarily on this particular goat hunt be, from what our guide says, you know, we're not going to be just going, you know, 8 to 12 miles a day. We'll probably climb elevation and then kind of be there and be where the goats are and not have to, you know, cover a huge distance, so to speak. Um, so, I mean, from a physical standpoint, I feel ready. But you know how, I, I mean, I don't know if you're like me, but I always feel like I could be more ready. You know, I feel good. <laughs> I feel strong. But it's not like I'm so like cocky, like oh I'm I can conquer anything because I know I mean even today hiking, I even posted on my Instagram. It's like even after three months going up and down this thing and you know gaining fifteen or sixteen hundred feet of elevation at you know ten thousand feet, a little route that I take, I'm still breathing hard and I still you know mentally I'm like man I'm sucking wind and here I'm you know, three months into pretty routine, you know, almost every single day doing it. Yeah, no, well, and you're, yeah, heck, you're well off or way better off than I am. I mean, you know, I'm up here right now hiking around and, and I can do it. I just, it's, I've got to take my time every year. I, I'm the same way. It's just like, I get there and I'm like, where the heck did my summer go? And where, did, where did the year go? Yeah. You know, and it's like, yeah, I, I hear you, man, but I think you're going to be in good shape. No pun intended. Yeah, it should be fun. Um, I'm really looking forward to going to Alaska. I've always wanted to go there ever since I was a little kid, and um, feel like this is just kind of the tip of the iceberg for me. I mean, there's a bunch of fishing opportunities there that I, you know, I'm sure I'll like to go back. And there's a ton of obviously hunting opportunities, um, but just to go see the state, uh, you know, a bunch of guys have said, man, best part of the whole trip even if you have a great hunt, it's going to be flying in some of those small planes, you know, and just checking out the countryside. And, uh, so from an adventure standpoint, I couldn't be more excited. Uh, just, just ready, ready kind of for a new chapter of, of, um, things that I've never, you know, encountered and done. And it, it, uh, should be fun. Heck yeah. Cool. No, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I can't wait to live vicariously through it. Well, I'm going to try and take a bunch of video and a bunch of pictures and uh, try and uh, showcase, you know, the countryside and, and the, the adventure and the experience as much as I can. And um, I, I want to say uh, welcome to the listeners out there. Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. I've got Chris Rowe of Rowe Hunting Resources, and we've been just chatting uh, about what's kind of been going on. Chris, I... I I told you a little bit about what's going on in my world. Uh, I've been following you on Instagram and have been seeing uh, your progress back in Kansas on uh, your whitetail properties and getting everything ready for 
the upcoming fall and then it, it looks as though you're in Colorado um, checking out some of your high country stuff. What's been going on with you since um, and by the way, I've been getting tons of requests. Where's Roe? What's going on with Chris? We need to get him on the podcast. What are you doing? I'm like, I know I've been fishing so much. I was to say you're out there fishing. I know. I'm like, I know it's already August and I haven't had Roe on. By this time last year, we had already done four or five episodes. Um, what's been going on with you? Man, you and I got back from Mexico, turkey, you know, ghouls turkey hunting. And I mean, it just hit the ground running. Yeah, I... I, as soon as I got back, uh, we had made a plan. Uh, I, for those that don't remember, I manage a, some property for a few, a couple landowners and for whitetails, turkeys, and and whatnot. And so we put a plan together to kind of start enhancing the properties to just provide a little bit better habitat quality across the board for our deer and, and our turkeys. Well, long story short. Um, there's been it's it's crazy to see it, but there's been some slow shifts across these past several years, and some you know flood events and some drought and everything else that have caused a major shift in not only deer activity but quality, and and not necessarily the bucks per se. And I can dive into that if you want to, but you know just you look at the does. Um, we've got. We usually have just tons and tons and tons of does, just piles of does. It's not uncommon in the winter on one field to count 150 deer, and most of them does, out on one just one field. Then you can go to the next one, next one, next one, and there they are. Well, we had the flood last year that changed some things, but agriculture speaking has changed to where commodity prices, you know, the grain prices are different. So farmers are planting a bunch of different uh, different crops than they normally do on their rotations, and then. Uh, and I never realized this, but the farm bill and the federal crop insurance, and there's probably farmers listening to this right now that'll, that know the details of this more than I do. But when you want to get crop insurance, if you want to insure your growing crop, so if like hail comes through or a tornado or something like wipes it out, at least you don't lose the farm. Literally, um, you can, (laughs) you, you can, you can insure it. Well, how they do it. It's based on a per eight, I think like a per acre or a per block uh, price, but the farm bill or the the farm bill and the the federal crop insurance incentivizes the landowner to plant these gargantuan monotypic blocks of one crop. Meaning, if I have a section of ground, six hundred and forty acres, a square mile, and it's chunked up into say a half a dozen different fields. And, it, you know, a few years back, the farmers would plant, you know, two of them in soybeans, two of them in corn, two of them in winter wheat, and they'd rotate that. And so if you had a population of deer in that area and say that square mile was a significant portion of their home range, they didn't have to go very far and they could find quality food. Well, now, because of grain prices and because of the way the crop insurance is, now it's more advantageous for that landowner to plant everything in that square mile one crop well it's an all-in deal it's an it's an all-in deal they get a they get a cheaper rate if they it's i think they call it enterprise status or whatever but if you for instance the the landowners i've I've worked with they've got a lot of corn well you know a lot of people that are deer hunters are like oh corn corn awesome great good deal yeah well yeah that's fine for the fall but 
when you're looking at deer health and body condition and feed, and, and especially if you're if you just even care about antler growth, corn itself when it's growing in the summer is not really good food. And you plant corn late. And so when we looked at our crop rotation, and now you look across the landscape where we're at, it's just I mean, literally if I had a I wish I had a drone. Uh, and and the one of the landowners that I work with has a plane, and I'm going to really try to get up when I get back. I'm going to try to get with him and, and go up and, and take some pictures and show folks. Because I'm going to actually, just a little segue, I'm going to actually start a new series on our YouTube channel that is going to end and on the uh, Row Hunting Resources website that's going to tackle some more whitetail management stuff. Because this is just fascinating to me. It's just, I mean, miles upon miles upon miles of corn. Well, the problem with that is... Last year, a lot of those fields were wheat. Well, you harvest your wheat in end of June, beginning of July. And where we are, we don't have enough rain to just turn right around and plant something, you know, right behind it. So most of our, what we have, you you harvest that wheat in end of June and July. And then that wheat, that field sits completely empty all summer, fall, winter, spring. And then you don't plant corn again until... You know, some people are planting it in May if the weather's nice, but you're you're planting corn again in May or June, and then when the corn comes up again, it's not really high quality food. So your there's deer a big void. There's just a gargantuan void. There's like no food for a year, and then when you go in and there's no food for a year, and then you plant crap food. All of a sudden, we're seeing you know does that normally are having twins, they're having singles if they have a, a fawn. I've got pictures. I've just I can't even tell you how many game camera pictures I have of, of does that are just skin and bone, just skin and bone, because the river corridors that we're in, we don't have large tracts of native, you know, um, vegetation and, and large woodlots and, and that type. We've got long linear corridors uh, that are on these river bottoms. Well, for years the deer have been concentrating in there, in there to where they've kind of eaten themselves out of house and home in those corridors anyway that they really do rely on the crops. So it's an interesting deal. And we can get into epigenetic effects and, and all sorts of other stuff. But bottom line, we just bought a piece of equipment. Um, there's an outfit out of Missouri that makes an actual legitimate high-tech high tech, uh, no-till drill. It's called the Genesis no-till drill. We got the Genesis 3. It literally is a tiny little jobby that can be pulled behind, a, you know, like a Polaris Ranger, you know, a UTV type deal. We are going to start actually farming for deer. I, I, I'm getting the equipment. We've, we're putting pieces of, of land off to, you know, setting the pieces of ground to the side. And, you know, the enterprise status type deal is probably still going to um, be around for a while. It's advantageous for the farmer to do so. Grain prices are not such to where it increases their um, productivity to, to be more diverse. So it's just I'm going to be farming in the summer to grow good quality summer food, warm season food for deer, just to make sure that we have good quality animals. And then it's it obviously is going to you know translate into antler quality too. But so it, it's it's a it's crazy to think in Kansas, in corn and soybean country, that you'd be talking about epigenetic you know, effects and, and poor body condition and having to actually do food plots as a necessity to maintain a quality herd. But that's where we're at.
So, so your does are looking thin. Are your bucks looking thin as well? And has have you seen it affecting antler growth? Well, it depends on where we're at. You know, the, the other thing too with with a buck, they, they move. You know, they they have a much bigger home range, and so they don't have any reason to stick around in one area. So they'll they'll pick up and move. And so we have seen large movement shifts in where our bucks have gone and they're they're moving towards where they can find that quality feed in other areas where they can't there just isn't quality feed around yeah you know the antlers are a little bit off but i'll tell you we've got some soybean fields that i think you probably saw those pictures yeah goodness i'm oh my gosh am i tempted the thing is is you know soybeans they don't get harvested until late typically because they just continue growing. And so our season starts the middle of September, archery season out there starts the middle of September. I know for a fact that these, several of these fields, we've got some just legit giants. I mean, mid one seventies class whitetails. I know for a fact though, when they go hard horned, they're going to scatter. Yeah. Well, that's end of, end of September. So, Chrissy's getting real tempted. I'm like, uh, I've got to. I literally will probably have to head back to. Elk have taken the back burner. Is that what you're saying? I'm not gonna say. I'm not <laughs> gonna say they've taken. No, I because we'll, I we'll just talk. was checking and hell hasn't frozen over. And I thought, okay, well, Chris hold, hold is talking. About, okay, <laughs> hold on, because because I had to. I had to admit to a, a mutual friend of ours. Um, no, I'm doing my elk. See, I'm I'm going on my elk hunt, and I'm actually taking some relatives um, for their first hunt. So I've, we're going to have a, a a decent size elk camp, and it's it's going to be about getting them their first elk. But um, I might have to take possession of a piece of equipment. That piece of equipment probably the beginning of of September. So I may be forced, regardless, to head back to Kansas. Uh, somewhere in that 10th to the 13th time frame. Well, you might be sitting in a tree stand. (laughs) (laughs) I might have to sit in a ground blind because, you know, we've got a whole, we have a full complement of hunters this year. We're completely booked, which is awesome. Um, But I know for a fact, these, uh, a couple of these big guys, I know they're going to disperse and I know they're going to go over on our neighbor's property. And I'm like, you know, if they're if I can't have my hunters get them anyway, I might as well shoot them. <laughs> I might. Well, I might well Does one play. of them happen to have a split G two on both sides? Hmm? Yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe he actually threw an extra sticker on that left side this year. I see year. that. I see that oh, little gem. <laughs> so, but that's the thing is, you know me. I'm usually I do my Colorado hunt, and then I'm like I'm I don't even go home. I just pack up and I'm in Arizona. Yeah. So a mutual friend of ours down there, guide outfitter, has been we've been emailing, talking back and forth about um, game camera surveys and that type of stuff, and and he's he's wanted to know when I'm when I'm headed down there, and and so I kept telling him I'm like oh yeah I'll be there you know probably that week of the tenth thirteenth well this all of a sudden changed so I email him I'm like um I uh, I might not be there for opening weekend. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and well, I might have a split G two buck in the on my Instagram photo with me that, behind it when I'm supposed to be in Arizona. That's, that's what I told. Him. I said if I if I show up to Arizona late, then hopefully that means I've got a giant in the freezer. So yeah, that's we'll that's cool. Um, 
We got a lot of stuff. To, I got a lot of stuff to ask you, but one question I routinely get, and I want to get your answer on it, is I get a lot of people asking me about over-the-counter Colorado archery elk over-the-counter, and how do they pick an area to go hunt? <laughs> and number one question I get to as well. And yeah, you know, it's one of those things like without drawing someone a map to where you go yeah how do you answer that and my over-the-counter i've done some colorado over-the-counter hunts years ago um but my level of uh, experience is not very good in that department and it's something that everyone is after both on an elk and on a mule deer you know and then with colorado doing a lot of the the um uh, limited draw stuff but it's it's a huge priority for people to do OTC. What? How do you respond to that question? I kind of break it down and make it about what they want and what their expectations are and kind of what they can do. Uh, so, for instance, you know, Colorado, for those who have never been here, is extremely diverse as far as the habitat and elevations that you could find good quality elk populations in. And, and, I, and let's completely forget limited entry units for right now. So everything I'm saying is all for OTC. So we've got elk in low elevation sagebrush, aspen, mixed pine type communities. We've got you know elk in ponderosa pine, oak brush communities. We've got elk all the way to the top of 13,000 foot peaks and high elevation backcountry hunts. So when people ask me about it, this is exactly what I tell them. I said, okay, first and foremost, are you familiar with Colorado and do you recreate in Colorado in a particular area already? Yes or no? No? Okay, hold that thought. Yes, if if you come out and say, well, yeah, we, you know, like you, we go, we go fish in such and such area or we come out each summer and we get a cabin up or, you know, I'm sitting here in Grand Lake. Uh, Colorado right now. You know, we we go up and and fish Grand Lake and we're around there. Okay, so if you're familiar with a particular area already, that's going to go a long way because you already know, okay, I know kind of where the roads are. I know what connectivity is. I know where the, you know, the stores are, gas is, and I can get groceries if I need to. And if there's an emergency, I know how to get out. You have some familiarity there. If you if that's the type of person you are, you have some familiarity with with Colorado, then a lot of times I say start with where you're comfortable because you're going to feel more comfortable out there, which then helps you build the confidence to just stay and stick it out and slug it out. Because it's going to take you probably if you know, I tell people if you're going to really learn an area and, and really dissect it and have consistent success, plan on, you know, three to five years of of learning an area, hunting an area, um, before you really get it dialed in. So that first year especially can be a, a crapshoot. So if you go into an area where you're already comfortable with and you have some familiarity with, then okay, it kind of helps build that. But if you don't, if you've never been to Colorado, then what type of hunt do you want? You know, what kind of experience do you want? And then what kind of shape are you in? You know, there's a lot of people like, oh, man, I love that backcountry. You know, I love the Alpine and I love that. But, you know, they just don't physically have the ability to get themselves up in there. Now, you can hire an outfitter. You can even just hire an outfitter to give you a drop camp. But like, you know, and what you just talked about a little bit of, you know, oxygen (laughs) above 10,000 feet. Well, especially above 10,000 feet, it gets a little thin. So, 
you've got to have some level of fitness that is going to allow you to function in a little higher elevations. But even for those people who are like, well, I don't know if I'm ready to tackle the backcountry, but I just like to elk hunt. Okay, fine. We've got low elevation stuff. Like I said, the Ponderosa Pine Oak Brush Country that you can be uh, hunting in between, heck, seven, eight, nine thousand feet. And you can find that all along the front range of Colorado, all along the southern tier of Colorado, and then kind of wrapping around kind of the southwest corner and maybe the southwest, or excuse me, the west central portion of the state. Um, and in a couple of pockets on the interior portion of the state, you can find those low elevation, really good elk habitats. If you think, well, I, I'm, I've got some pretty decent shape, but I just don't have a lot of equipment and I don't have the ability to buy a lot of equipment. So I need to, you know, car camp or truck camp, or at least, you know, be able to use a four wheeler or whatever. Okay. Same thing. Some of those lower elevation units, uh, lower elevation habitats, you can get into the Aspens, you can get into the mixed, you know, spruce fir type stuff. And there's plenty of places that have good vehicle access. At that point, what you really just need to do is get on the computer, start looking at elk units that you're interested in you know you can find the d whether you use go hunt uh for all your information on the the specifics or if you get on the colorado department of wildlife's uh web pay, web you know website and just pick that apart but then because you and the other thing too is for public land here in colorado it's all chunked up mostly we have state wildlife areas but they're scattered and they're, but typically most of them are small most everybody hunts on national forests so take a look at the national forests in these regions and get your national forest map and kind of get an idea of what the ma- the and especially the travel management plan because you want to take a look at that and say okay what exactly is the vehicle access in here where can i go on a quad or a four-wheeler where can't i go where is it only foot access or horseback access and then start dialing in from there so once you say okay well i want to be able to car camp or maybe i want to truck camp um, and I like, I, I really like the Aspens and I like that kind of mixed pine. So I'd like to find an area like that. Okay. Once you start picking apart your forest service maps and finding out, okay, this is the mid tier unit you know, or mid tier, mid tier elevation. So we're talking about nine, 10, maybe up to 11,000 feet, somewhere in those, that kind of elevation band. Yep. Then you say, okay, now what? The biggest thing that I have always used, and and this it's a it's a company that I've gotten to know. I don't do anything. I don't do. I don't owe them a dime. They don't owe me a dime. We have no formal relationship whatsoever. I just use their product. It's called Hunt Data CD. Well, HuntData.com I think is their website or something like that. But it's Hunt Data, and they make a CD or they make a little thumb drive. They make they have apps and all sorts of other stuff. But what they do essentially is they take all the the CD, the Colorado wildlife information and they synthesize it and they generate maps and you can get a hard map if you want, but they make maps that are electronic as well, but it will pick apart, you know, where are the traditional summer ranges? Where are the traditional winter ranges? Where are the t- traditional calving areas? Where are the migration corridors? Where's the, you know, access? They put all that information from the biologists in on those maps and most of that information is pretty darn good. It's a good starting point. Obviously, there's going to be a little, you know, some nuances on the ground. But if you're sitting there going, okay, where do I go? You found the forest. 
that you want to hunt in or the public land that you want to hunt in. You found the area that you want to be in. Okay, if you pull up their map, it will overlay all that information on Google Earth. So you can kind of see, okay, where's the summer range? Where's the calving areas? Where's the winter range? And then from there, you can say, okay, if I'm archery hunting, well, archery season starts early, especially this year. So those elk are generally closer towards their summer range. If you're going to be rifle hunting and later on in October and into November, okay, the weather's going to be colder. There's going to be nasty weather. Most of the time, those elk are probably, in general, going to be closer to maybe their winter range. Well, these maps will identify those traditional areas. So now you can sit there and go, okay, for archery, they should be, this is a general area to look at. Okay, now I can look at it on Google Earth. So I know where the area I'm hunting. I know the unit I'm hunting. I know the forest I'm hunting. And now I've got a starting point to start scouting. If you can scout, great. Go out there and kind of try to verify some sign and, and that type of stuff. But if you don't have a chance to scout, at the very least, with that information and then sitting and picking apart Google Earth Maps and getting an idea of, okay, where are the dark pockets of timber? Where are the open meadows? Where are the little creek drainages? Where's the likely water? That type of deal. It can really help kind of hone you in on where you should just even start but once you get that that's where it's just going to be boots on the ground chris when did you start when when was your first over-the-counter hunt in the state of colorado 95 1995 i believe and when you came out to do your first hunt how big of a learning curve going through all those things you just talked about um, you know, did you immediately find elk? Was it really tough the first year? Um, did you have the fortune of someone already knew kind of where to go? Kind of how did it go your first year? And if that story isn't very exciting, <laughs> how, how, how like over the you know couple years after that, when you were really cutting your teeth, did did it go for you? Well, I was one of those people that I got lucky. And, and there's no other way to say it than that. I got lucky. And uh, there was – I. long story short, I started turkey hunting, found out through turkey hunting a place that I said, man, it looks like it might have some good elk and deer hunting in it. Buddy and mine decided to go down there that fall, and I mean we just, we just lucked into them, all right? And so everybody – and everybody's listening going, yeah, great, okay, big deal. Well, the point being is, yeah, we lucked into them. And for the first couple of years, it was good. However, it got discovered very quickly. People piled in, and all of a sudden, it just it went to it went from epic to zero in just a short order. Meaning the people pushed the elk out. Absolutely, because there was a lot of private land around it, and so those elk were just boom gone. We're out. I mean, literally, it got so bad one year. Um, Kelly and I, with the horses, we sat in the trailhead. We sat that we sat at in our truck at the trailhead with the horses loaded. We were ready to leave, and we had to wait. I don't remember. It was like two hours for enough hunters to come back out of the field to move their trucks so we could get out of the trailhead. Wow. It was stupid. It, it it just burned it. So we started off lucky, 
But then all of a sudden we were left with nothing. Well, simultaneously to that, I was working the Upper Eagle River elk study, which is in the White River National Forest. And so I had some experience up in that area. So I was like, all right, well, I'll just move and I'll go over there. I know this area. Well, not only did I know the area, but I knew exactly where the elk moved and how they moved and where they went in the whole nine yards. Well, I'll tell you right now, it took me a while to find, I knew the area in May and June and July and August. Come September, it was a whole different animal. So it took me a couple years to figure out what was going on in there. And I'll tell you, I mean, from there, we just started leapfrogging out and learning. And that's the other thing too, I tell people, you always come, you know, try to develop a core area that you hunt, but every year expand where you go and expand how much you learn about your area. So you're always learning something and go, go one more ridge over, go one more valley, go a little further down the valley or go a little further up the valley, learn just a little bit more. And then if you can start exploring like a plan B area that may be, you know, 30 minutes to an hour's drive away because you never know what the weather and, you know, winter severity or summer drought or whatever is going to affect your core area maybe an hour or two away in a different area is completely different. And so it, it can, it can save your bacon as far as when one area gets tough, you have somewhere to fall back on, but absolutely it, it, once I lost my primary area, it took me a couple years to really dial in and figure out what was going on in an area that I thought I already knew. So absolutely. There are people that are going to say, you know, literally blindfolded, throw a dart at a map, of Colorado and then go hunt there and just fall into an elk because we've got just piles of elk. There's, there's just no two ways about it. Colorado is loaded with elk. However, the reality is a lot of times you're going to get in on them. You'll find some elk, you'll find some sign, but it might take you a year or two to get it really dialed into where you guys are just rocking and rolling and, and consistently in elk every year. Okay. Next question is, so as you're learning these areas, and I'm sure this is the second most question, if you only had a week to go, what week would you go? <laughs> and I know you're going to say, well, it depends on where you, which, yeah. which one of those zones you go to. But in yeah. general, all of your experience of 25 years or whatever, um, That's, uh, I, and what I, and week I, would you go for best I, I, best hunt? Probably, if you forced me with a gun in my head, I would probably have to say the week before muzzleloader season, essentially that second week, either depending on how the season falls, probably that second week of September. So the oh. dates of like the 7th through the 14th? Somewhere, somewhere in that neck of the woods, yes. Why, why not the very end? Why not the last week? B, well, A, because if you ha if you wait, and there's a lot of guys that do this. There's a lot of people that love that last week. Um, two reasons that I don't. One, if something happens in the weather or something happens with the behavior or something happens and it just ain't clicking, eh, you ran out of time. You, that's, the, that, that's it. You went one week and now the season's over and you've got no options. Whereas if you start early in the season and you get there and you like last year, last year for a lot of people in Colorado, the first part of the season was just absolutely brutal. Just the elk were I mean, just trying to find them, trying to get on them, trying to, you know, get them to talk. It was just tough. 
Well, those people that started early could start their hunt and go, this is not working. I'll come back. And they have the ability to come back later on in the season, hopefully. And then hopefully conditions change. I, I'm always, I, for me, I love the pre rut. I like getting bulls while they are looking for cows rather than when they're locked down with cows. And so I can and have in past years done extremely well on opening weekend in the first week of season. And the only reason why I did not, and I, that's my go-to, we, I, I will always take the first week of season off. However, but that's because I usually have the flexibility to continue my season into the second week if I have to. Now, last year I did not. Last year, you know, I had a guy, I had a client down in Arizona, so I had to be down in Arizona, I think, like on the 6th. And so I just had the first week, and that was about it. And guess what? The first week was brutal. I had a couple just brief opportunities. I had a really nice bull that I would have killed. I just, it was too thick. I couldn't get a clean shot. But it took me all the way to the end of that, like, it was September 4th, I think, we find a buddy and my or buddy and I found a really good bull, and I had to walk away from him because I just didn't have the time to get him out, get him to the processor, get it everything, and then still get to Arizona. But it wasn't until I started, you know, that fourth, fifth, sixth. He went back in there on the seventh or eighth, I think, and the bull was bugling. So it wasn't until that second week of season where things started to kind of come on, you know, unglued and it just kind of loosened up to where okay the elk are talking okay the elk are working okay now we've got a rhythm here so i prefer the pre-rut uh to catch those bulls while they're seeking cows but not locked down with cows but there are a lot of guys that they they want that either that muzzleloader week which is the third week usually or they want the last week of season how uh well i guess this is kind of a three freight let me just try and break this down. You've seen pretty good bugling activity and pretty good calling and the ability to call elk in the first opening day. In 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 all the years you've hunted, I mean, have you had the majority of the time have you had pretty good what we would call calling action uh, on on opening weekend? Absolutely. I'll bet you if I, I if I had to kind of narrow it down, I'll bet you have four out of five years. Yes. You know, last year was the first year where it was tough. But again, I think it was day. I don't know, three, four, five, maybe of the hunt. And, and I found a bull and he was bugling. He had cows. I mean, unbelievably, he had cows already. And it was locked down in the middle of a big group of cows. Um, and that's what but I mean. I got in, called. He was responding to calls. He was working in coming. I mean, he was coming. It was just was just brutally, brutally thick. And he stopped at about 30 yards. And he stopped in the doorway. He had a perfect vantage point. He just couldn't see me. I couldn't see him. He was surrounded by his cows. And all of a sudden, a couple of his cows came in and literally within five yards of me swung around downwind. And, well, there you go. It was over. So, and I killed my big bull, uh, what, two, a couple years ago, opening day. The evening, he bugled like crazy, and, and he came up. The, I mean, he worked calls, and I killed him at 14 steps. So, how much yeah. of that How much of that year in and year out activity-wise opening weekend is whatever basin, you know, high country basin that you're going into, how much of that is, 
hey, the elk haven't been pressed out of here. They seem to be pretty uninterrupted. Things are going well. And yeah, it's going to be rocking. Or on years like last year where it's like, where did they all go? They're gone. And, you know, it's not very good. I guess my question is, um, what is my question? My question is like, good activity directly related to elk are untouched nobody's up in here really messing with them they're just doing their thing and then the flip side is oh crap there's camps all over and these things have gotten pressured and they're out of here yes and and that there you go i agree with that if if most of my areas when i've been successful they have not been pressured and they've not been bumped they've not been disturbed at least for several weeks leading up to opening day and so when I get there, they are doing their thing on the, just they're just rocking and rolling, doing their own thing. Now that may not be, they may not be screaming, they might be just may not be rocking, just going crazy, but they're talking. And again, that's you know you know this, and most of your listeners do with the elk module. You know that's what I talk about. I mean, there's a lot of things you don't have to just scream at a at a bull with a bugle or or call a lot or whatever. If you go in with a targeted approach or or just a purposeful calling and have a full toolbox on tactics and techniques and and how to call, you can call whatever elk you encounter that weekend. You may not find a bull that is absolutely fired up, but if he talks just a little bit, you can work him. And you actually like that better than when there's bulls just screaming in all directions from a, from a putting meat in the freezer and getting your bull killed, you would actually rather have them a little bit of bugling first thing in the morning, a little bit of bugling at last light. You feel like with your targeted strategy, you can kill bulls. Yes. And the, and the number one reason for that is again, I'm hunting over the counter land, which means and public ground, which means there's going to be other hunters in the in in that area. If that bull is just out there, just blowing his lungs out, every other hunter in that basin or on that ridge heard it as well. Well, guess where they're going to be? In your back pocket. They're gonna they're going to be all going after that one bull. Whereas if they're just subtle and just laid back and low key, a there's a lot of guys that don't know how to handle that, and b you know, I, I joke about it all the time. The only time I want somebody to know there's an elk in a valley is when it's on the back of my horse heading out. You know, <laughs> I mean, I would rather get just a little squeal, be able to get him to pinpoint, or he might just talk a little bit early morning, late evening, but I can pinpoint him. I know where he is. I can move in and I can work him subtle or, you know, just targeted, you know, targeted strategy that I talk about with the app and, or on the website. I, I am very, very successful doing that. And I, I think a lot of people will be too. Yeah. Cause I mean, you, you cut down on a lot of the other competition from other hunters. As soon as those elk start rocking, two things are going on. One, if you're in an area that have other hunters, they're going to be chasing the, those animals as well. But also typically if those animals are rocking, then I find most of the time those animals are going to be in tied in and around cows now you've got a heck of a lot more eyes, a heck of a lot more ears, and a heck of a lot more noses that you've got to deal with. Yeah. So I do. I like that early part. Have you seen – well, when elk are undisturbed, 
at say areas high elevation basins where let's just say people haven't been traipsing in and out of in that scenario where they're not getting messed with when would be the seven days that they're on an on a year in and year out basis that you would say if you want you know the most bugles and blowing and going this is when it occurs oh i, I i'm gonna say prog well you can you can say that second week of season they're going to start getting ripping and roaring, but yeah, you start getting around the fall equinox. That's when things are going to start cranking. You get around the ni- September nineteenth through the twenty second, somewhere in there. They're they're that's when they're if they're untouched and they're not undisturbed, they're usually going pretty good by then. Um, but that doesn't mean that they're not talking before then, right? So this year, September 2017, the moon is full on the 6th of September. And so I believe that archery season starts, what is it, the last Saturday in August. So that's the 26th of August, which it's going to be pretty darn dark moon. And then the moon will be growing in that time frame when you really like. So it'll go from being pretty dark and be growing from a macro standpoint of stepping back and looking at it, I know we've had discussions about the moon before, but I kind of see that as as each day that the moon gets a little brighter, it seems at night in their congregation areas and what have you, they seem to be getting a little bit more vocal, a little bit more chasey, a little bit more ruddy, and, and, and it might be a good scenario for that first weekend. Your thoughts? I, I agree with you. And then the other thing, too, I like about it, especially for guys that are hunting high country, it doesn't, I mean, I, elk behavior and in, in the cycle is all the same, but especially for the high country, because you can see them typically. Um, the earlier we start in August, on these years where we start like the 25th, 26th, you will find some elk that are still on their summer mode. They still haven't left their summer concentration area. And so, you can get up there and you can glass them and you can pattern them. And a lot of times you don't even have to worry about getting too creative in your calling because they bed in the same little patch of timber and they come out and feed at the same time each night. And they come out and they use the same little avalanche chute to access the alpine. I mean, some, and they use the water holes. I mean, there's a, the beauty of, of early season is sometimes you can catch those bulls before either before they make that pre-rut move or just as they are arriving in those cow calf concentration areas and before they've split up the cows and, and pushed them out so i mean it, it's a lot of times it can be easier to pattern them but you're absolutely right from the from my perspective on move phase i love that period of time just before and right after the full moon and do you feel like in that – so with guys scouting this summer and say they've got their summer patterns pretty pegged, you're saying with the season starting on the 26th, which is nice to be a little bit early, that you're thinking, hey, guys out there that are really scouting the high country and have stuff pegged, you're probably going to have you know similar conditions. They probably won't make a big move is what you're kind of saying. Um, Possibly, and, depending and- – Depending on the herd, possibly, yes. And then the next question is, I know you talk about the mid-tier elevations, and I know you talk about, you know, some bulls bugling not too far from the trailhead, and everybody goes in deep, and then there's bulls, and they go right by them. But wouldn't you also say, I mean, for the guys out there that can really get 
in the backcountry, wouldn't you say go as far, go as deep? I mean, get in some of those areas where people just don't go. I I know what you're going to say, but (laughs) (laughs) I mean, let's be real. Go get away from people and, 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 and you don't have to put on your, you know, macho man, Randy Savage shirt to do it, but yeah, get away from people and get in those basins that people don't want to go to. And you're going to probably year in and year out with that strategy in Colorado, probably year in, not just maybe one year, but a, a historical period, you're going to get into more elk. Yes, I will agree with that. Okay. But what you said is absolutely right. <laughs> because the problem is, is and I, we see it, and you, I think you and I talked about it, is the fact that we've got a different breed of hunter these days. You know, you know, with a with a focus on fitness, with with the gear that we have now. I mean, my gosh, when I look back at at the clothing, the the backpacks and the the just the just the weight, just, the weight alone. Oh my gosh, the gear that we had when we were kids and when or when we were younger and hunting is, I mean, it's crazy. But you look at what people have now. There's there are I there are plenty of times where I'm dead serious. I will run into more people four, five, six miles back in than I do within that one mile stretch from the trailhead. And so I focus. You know, we laugh about it, but I do. I focus on that that last thing you said, where the other people aren't. Well, elk are smart. If there's a whole pile of people packing in. To the backcountry. Now, keep in mind, yes, we've got some great alpine basins and some great backcountry areas for elk, but those are also some really good areas for mule deer hunters too. And there's and mule deer hunting is you know the the cult following that mule deer hunting has. There's a lot more guys and gals out there interested in mule deer hunting. Well, heck, they're camping right up on those little benches and those ledges, and they're right up in those alpine basins. They may not be hunting elk. They may not be a direct competition for you, but they're darn sure disturbing the area, even if it's mildly, in addition to the guys that are in there, you know, hunting elk. So there are times where, yeah, you can actually find pretty darn good activity closer to the trailhead because now most people are walking past that one mile or two mile mark. So go where the go where the people aren't. That's what I focus on. Good stuff. Uh, I know that you've been active in the elk module, loading a new series of videos. Um, curious if you could tell the listeners what you've got up your sleeve and how things are going, and what you're working on. Yeah, sure. Um, the big push this year, and, and I kind of, it was a little bit more overwhelming than I think either Kelly or I thought, especially me. Kelly, she's the webmaster, and she's the magic behind how everything looks and how everything functions. We we wanted to make a big update to the website because we found, we surveyed our, our subscriber base and found out that I think it's like 90 plus percent of you guys and gals use it on mobile devices, and really don't use it on their desktops that much. And so while you could use our, while our website was usable in a mobile platform, it was not optimized for a mobile platform. So we revamped the entire website 
to optimize it for a mobile platform. And we reorganized some material to make it a little bit uh, ed more educational and help people understand why you're learning certain things in, in certain clusters, like what is the foundation principles? Why do you start there? Why do you get a foundation of this information before you dive into you know more advanced information? So we updated the website pretty substantially, just I mean, even just with the existing content, just the usability, uh, intuitiveness, interface, the whole nine yards. And then, yeah, I'm I'm still adding new material to it. We added uh, strategies act strategies in action video, a gallery video, uh, a straight shot video of just me talking about some stuff. And that's what I'm doing here. I'm sitting in Colorado right now, wrapping up my. Um, summer elk observation period so I've got a bunch of good stuff to add when I get back home and then for the strategy app um, we've got that strategy app that a lot of you guys know about we upgraded that one as well uh, worked with a guy that did a, just a phenomenal job at making that app a little bit more intuitive a little bit easier to work on uh, more modern mobile devices so both our strategy app and the website got a major overhaul this summer and are now up and running and, and doing well. I, we've gotten some really good feedback so far from people that, that like the upgrade. So, yeah, that was, a, that was a big undertaking, but Kelly knocked it out and, and did a great job with it. So Now, Chris, just to kind of go over some historical facts, you actually created the app, the Elk Hunter app, back – kind of when apps were just getting going wasn't it like 2011 do you feel i know you were really excited about the app do you feel like in essence that you were ahead of the curve or ahead of the game in creating that app but do you feel and i haven't even talked to you about this so i don't even, i'm curious your answer i have no idea what the answer is going to be do you feel like you were a little bit ahead of people weren't even really using apps before like I feel like you were one of the pioneers in essence coming up with a hunting app and yeah. obviously there's been a few other apps have come out but you actually created an app way early on and do you feel like almost people hadn't caught up with the technology that you kind of you know could see coming in the future and and curious how you handled that and what your thoughts are with all of that well, yeah, no, I mean, um, I, I think you probably nailed it without knowing it. I mean, yeah, we we came up with the idea, or I came up with the idea of putting all, a lot of this information that I teach and talk about in an app format to where it's kind of um, interactive for those people that haven't played with it. It's, uh, if, when we were, Jay, when you were younger, did you ever read those uh, choose your own ending books? Do you remember those yeah. from high school mid or like middle middle school or whatever? Yeah, 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 for sure. Okay. So and and for the science guys out the guys and gals out there, there's something called a dichotomous key. So if you want to find out what a plant species is, you know, you you see a wildflower on a mountain, you go, "Man, I wonder what that is." Well, there's a way, there's there's uh, it's called a dichotomous key that'll ask you a series of questions. You know, what does the leaf look like? Does it look like A or does it look like B? And you go, oh, well, it kind of looks like B. Okay, you choose B. Turn to this page. Okay, you turn to that page. All right, what does the stem look like? Does it look like this or this? Does it have hairs on it? Does it, you know, branch? Does it, you know, so you will be asked a series of questions. 
And the further down into those questions you go, the closer you get to your answer. And so I thought, I was like, man, what if we did something like that with, you know, this idea about all this educational stuff that I that I talk about with the behavior, vocalizations, communication, all that information I had. So we built that app in 2011, and you are absolutely right. At that time, apps, smartphones really at that time were just getting started, and people were playing with them, and apps were uh, uh, a toy. For lack of a better term, most apps were a toy. There were a few apps that were – um, tools being developed and we saw it and we were like, well, why don't we do one? <sighs> yeah. I, from the hunting standpoint, you know, hunters, and this is not a slam. I really don't mean this disparagingly, but hunters in at least six years ago or whatever, we, we kind of lag behind technology and there's a big, big segment of the hunting public that resists new technology. And so when we released the app, there were some people who were like, holy heck, this thing's awesome. And they jumped right on it. But there was a lot of people. We got so much flack over it. Like, I mean, why are you creating an app? And oh my but don't you think from not only a hunter's perspective, but just general public, like 2011, people are way more mobile oriented now in 2017 oh, than yeah. they were in 2011. Like we were still oh, yeah. really using our laptop computers and you know, now, like you said earlier, like everybody's focused on, you know, iPhone, iPad, you know, or, oh, yeah. you know, Android, you know, mobile Different device. Phones. And it seems like in the last two years is when, you know, you're, I've got buddies that I fish with that are, you know, 74, 75 years old and they're, they're on their phones and on apps and on stuff all the time where, you know, like I would have told you back in 2010, 11, like they didn't even know what a, what an nope. iPhone was. Yeah, no, absolutely. We Back then, we had people literally look at us or on chat forums or whatever and just laugh and go, who in the heck is going to buy that thing because who in the heck wants to take their phone up in the woods with them? Who yeah. the heck is going to use – who's going to use their phone for anything up in the uh, – you, yeah. you go on, And now get, nobody goes without it because oh, they're I using it as a phone. They're using it as their video. They're using it for their yeah. for their mapping. Um, yeah, it's, you know, it, it's, it's, it, it, now people see – that your mobile device can be a tool. So yeah, we we were way too early on releasing it to blow up the app market. However, what I do what I do like is the fact is I think we have had we've been out there long enough and we've gotten some good feedback over the years with it with the people that have bought it that I think we've got our our app pretty well fine tuned. You know what I mean? We we've had a chance to see what people use and how they use it and why they use it and what they like, what they don't like. To In other where words, you've been able to fine tune it and 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 you since you yeah. created it, you know, six years ago, you've been able to really take the data of when and where yeah. they use it and which pages and how how they yep. navigate through it and make it better. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I mean, that was one of the biggest updates we did um, with the year. I think it was a year after we released it. One of the biggest updates was, you know, the original version. We asked all those questions. It gets you narrowed down. So again, uh, and people can go to the website and, and you know, rowhuntingresources.com and scroll to the bottom, and you'll see the strategy app for your mobile. You click on that, and there's more information there than you'll ever. I mean, it'll, it'll answer everything that you. That you every question you have but 
So it, it asks you all these questions. You know, are you hunting early season, mid season, late season? And it's a bow hunters. App. It's it's designed for bow hunters. So it'll ask you, are you hunting early season, mid season, late season? Are the bulls? Do you know where the elk are? Yes or no? Are they talking? Yes or no? What kind of vocalizations are they making? Is it this, this, or this? Bull sounds, cow sounds. I mean, so it asks you. There's if you look at the situational tree in this thing, it's just this monster. There's like six hundred. There's over six hundred different scenarios that we parse through that will provide an answer to well the version the first version we put all the educational material at the back so once you got to your endpoint this this is what's going on here's why this is what the elk are doing this is what this is why they're vocalizing this way this is what you should probably think about if you want to use a passive strategy which is kind of really low key or you want to use a targeted strategy which is a little bit more well targeted or do you want to use an aggressive strategy you can choose that and then i explain what's going on with that and then what you can do and some of the tactics you can use if you want to use bugles with it or not you know it it goes through all of that but all the education was at the end well one of the biggest questions and i and it was amazing we we sat back and we were like, yeah, this absolutely makes sense. People were complaining. They said, well, why are you asking us these questions? And I didn't even think about it at first. I was like, well, yeah, that's a good point. Why does it matter if it's early season, mid-season, or late season? Why does it matter if the bull has cows or he doesn't have cows? So now what we did is the second iteration of it, the update, we changed and put a lot of the educational material in the beginning. So when I ask you a question, early season or late season, you click one – I explain why that matters and what that is going to do possibly to affect elk behavior and how they're going to interact with you and why it matters for the tactics that we talk about later on. And so a lot of the educational materials come in the beginning and throughout the middle of it now. And same thing with audio and video files. You know, people are like, well, that'd be great, but I'd love to hear it. Okay, so on update two three years ago we put audio files in it and then we once you started getting into where you had 3g and you know 4g lte signal in so many of these places where people hunt now because we can load the audio on your phone and it doesn't take up a lot of room but if you want video you've got to have connectivity otherwise it's just gonna you're gonna have such a massive file on your phone that it's just gonna bog everything else down so if you have connectivity to 3G or 4, you know, 4G LTE or whatever, you can now watch streaming video on it, you know, me talking about it, demonstrating it, hearing it, all those tools going into it, you know, we've had there for a past couple of years and have been able to fine tune it over over these past couple of years, but the what you mentioned is yeah, we there's a there's a few more apps out there today and we've had some of our folks ask us about it and you know what? I'm I'm happy for it. I really am. Um what the, what are they what is it the rising tide lifts all boats you know yeah. the more the more people are using their mobile device the more people that are are finding apps as a tool the the better it's going to be for everybody yeah and you know that this i get the same questions with podcasts and they're like hey there's you know this podcast and that podcast and this hunting and this fishing podcast and this and what do you think about it i'm like it's great and they're like well what do you mean it's great well, I think it's great. I think it's great that, you know, more information is getting out there. I think it's great that podcasts are becoming, you know, more mainstream. And I, so I, I see what you're saying about, you know, the apps and, and the more, you know, the more that's out there. It doesn't mean the more the merrier, but the way I look at it with my own podcast, you know, taking it to 
taking it a step further is like the more opportunity people realize that it, they're that it's out there so if they find my podcast because they've listened to some other podcast and they're just all of a sudden searching hunting and fishing podcast and they find mine you know when i started my podcast people are like what's a podcast yeah, exactly. Now, yeah. now it's like everybody has a podcast and it, it's, it, you know, the one thing I, the one thing that I've always liked about your stuff over anybody else's stuff and your approach to it is, you know what? You're not buying T-shirts or excuse <laughs> me. You're not selling T-shirts. You're not selling bumper stickers. You're not selling the item of the week or the can't, you know, the lollipop of the freaking week. And one thing that I really like about your stuff, and you know, I've, you and I have gotten to be friends over the years, but I've always admired the fact that, and and Chris, you're not a salesman. That's the thing too. It's like I sometimes want to, you know, shake you and be like, dude, I'm a salesman. I can sell stuff. Like, not saying you can't, but you you give oh, we, education, we, you we give good some... information. And going back to the podcast, like I had someone email, they're like. Yeah, I like your podcast. It's good information, but it's not very entertaining. And I'm my answer is find another podcast because I'm not an entertain. I don't yeah. do this to entertain. I do this to give you information. I do this to give you education. I could care less about selling bumper stickers. You're never going to find me selling hats, T-shirts, having a carnival ride. Like I'm not giving away. Uh, you know, hair. If you like my deal, I'm doing a contest to see how many likes I can get. And I like that about your approach. Is it's 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 business. So, it's, so do it's I have information? It's education. It's not you know jelly of the month club and 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 you know entertainment. And if you want an entertaining podcast, go somewhere else because there's lots of great entertainment podcasts. But bringing it back full circle i kind of went on a little rant there sorry um but we're not selling t-shirts here we're not selling bumper stickers we're not selling you lollipops yeah it, yes i have sponsors of the podcast they're companies that i've worked with they're companies i believe in but i feel like other apps other podcasts when you go to them or even on people's instagram page they're trying to sell you a bumper sticker yeah you like, know, it, come it, on, people, look through this. They're trying to sell you a T-shirt. They're trying – and listen, I got friends that sell T-shirts, and they're probably going to be pissed and you know, <laughs> call me all kinds of names. But the point is I like the way you're just trying to pr- help people get better, and that's what I try and do with this podcast. I try and give good information, let people – you know, take that information and apply it into their own hunting and their own fishing and do what they want. I don't ever want them coming to Jay Scott Outdoors Instagram or podcast thinking Jay's trying to sell us a t-shirt of the month. Yeah, no, it, and, and it, it's, I don't know, it, you know, it, it's tough. I mean, it, this, this industry gets so stinking cutthroat sometimes that it just, it, it drives you nuts. But I've learned one thing over the years well, and most people, well, I don't know if they know this, but I'm, I'm generally a conservative type guy. I, I, I like the free market capitalist system and I, and I like competition as a consumer, <laughs> as a consumer, I love competition. I love options. I love variety. I love choices as a business owner. You go, dang it. You know, there's some, uh, dang it. You know, it, it, there's someone else whittling it. But the thing that I've noticed over the years, the more other options are out there 
the more attention it brings to whether it's your podcast, whether it's a website or whatever, the more attention it brings to that entity, that that substance that you provide. But as long as you just plug away, keep your head down, chin just just plug away, do your work and do quality work. The quality is going to rise to the top, and it doesn't matter about the fray. It doesn't matter about the controversy. It doesn't matter about anything else that's going around. It doesn't matter if you're in this industry. It doesn't matter if you're, it's your job at work. You're in an office. There's going to be some people in there that are brown nosers. There's going to be some people in there that you just don't like deal with. But if you just plug away and you do good quality work, you will get noticed, and it will it, it will be a success. Row hunting resources, we just I just plug away because I love what I do. I love the content. I have the passion for what I'm doing. And all I can hope is that the people that sign up, the people that sign up for us are the same type of people that have that passion, you know? And so that's exactly it. I mean, whether, whether it was the app, whether it's the the website, you know, I don't know. It's just, I think if you have a passion for it and you just plug away and let people see who you are for what you are and let the chips fall where they may, you know? Yeah, and that's that's I think that's you know I I've admired what you've done for years because you've just put out great content, great information, and you're not pushy. You're not trying to sell. Yeah, sure, you sell an app. Yes, sure, you you sell a subscription service to your elk module, uh, to row hunting resources, you know, to 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 your platform, but you're not trying to do the gimmicky stuff. And you trust me. I know you've probably had plenty of opportunities to sell all kinds of gimmicks. Well, and, I would see that, and yeah, but but you and I've talked about that. I'm like you; it drives me nuts, and you'll and you'll never see me do it. The thing that I think is funny for, and and this is why I do appreciate the the, the folks that the folks that think like me. I appreciate their company. Like for instance, I literally this is no joke. I just got done. Um, we had some of the RHR subscribe, a couple of the RHR subscribers, uh, husband and wife got the wife got a hold of me this winter and said, Hey, my husband is turning 60. He really loves your stuff. Is there any way we can meet, you know, just like a birthday gift to your, to my husband, you know, just, just meet just so you could just, you know, sit and talk with you, pick your brain. I'm like, all right, sure. Where do you live? Alberta. I'm like, I'm like, oh, uh, I don't, I really don't have any trips planned to Alberta. But I told her, I said, well, are you willing to travel? She's like, maybe. I said, well, here's the deal. I'm going to Colorado, end of July, beginning of August, to do my elk stuff. I said, you're more than welcome to tag along with me if you want. Well, boom, they're on a flight, and and literally this past weekend, I had Donna, Janice, get, uh, uh, Graham follow me around and they did great. They, it was awesome. But what was cool about it is to listen to, he's just a subscriber and he geeks out on this stuff just as much as I do. And he's just as critical with his analysis and listening to things as I am. And so some of the things that we heard this past weekend, I mean, I, I'm literally, I'm, I've, I've even got one here. If you, I didn't know if we wanted to hear it. Or not. I'm, I've got to go back. You know, you and I have talked about like the selfish mute, what people talk about, estrus scream, estrus mute, estrus wine, whatever. The more I dig into this stuff, the more I start teasing stuff out to where I think I'm going to have to go back into my stuff and, and provide an update and say, okay, well, you know, 
this was the original assumption. And then we kind of disproved that. And then we kind of came up with this assumption. Uh, dude, we might be in a situation where I've got to say, okay, well, my, you were wrong. I might have been a little wrong. This may be something even completely different. But but is it really wrong, or is it just kind of a, an awareness that there you go uh, that you finally there you go come come far enough and you've been open minded enough to realize that you weren't wrong necessarily, yeah. but that your opinion now has changed as to the sound or the behavior that uh, is uh, you know a comp uh, you know a, a comp, what's the word I'm looking for accompanies that sound. Yeah. Um, and, but the thing is that that's what, that's what I like. You, you know, you have the ability to look at it and go, you know what? I used to think this and I was dead set on it. Now I've come to the conclusion that I might've been mistaken and that actually here's my, you know, conclusion now. Well, and that's not to say that it might not transition and, and change over time as well. You're, I, I like the fact that you're willing to morph your ideas because of not popularity but because of you know hypothesis and conclusion and and teasing it out like you said well and to let the membership also or the subscribers also chime in because there's other folks that have gotten a hold of me and said well what about this or what about that or what because that's you know a couple of the things coming up here you know and i and i don't want to dive into them here um because i'm not fully ready to tackle them but you know people have just been pounding me over the you know you had a, a podcast with Joel Turner and he talked about the bull calling cows bugle, you know, and people want to know about it, what my opinion is. Well, I've got piles of video to show, I think, a very compelling case that might suggest something different. But uh, I'm not going to destroy I – mean, I'm not going to go out there and criticize somebody, but just I'm going to let the video show itself. And then, you know, other people ask, you know, okay – who cares that I'm up here listening to all these cow, you know, cows and calves? And you know, I posted these videos of, of the the calves talking and and the cows conversing back and forth. Well, I posted a video. Okay, how do you use that stuff? The, the, the beautiful thing about, I think I enjoy not going and and I guess I think it kind of ties into what you said before, not going in an advertiser route. And you and I have talked about this. We've kind of gone back and forth about it. I love a membership model for what I do because I get it. I the people that that subscribe to it are the people that get it, and they're the ones that want to make it better and help make it better. Yeah, I'm I'm literally here. Here's a perfect. You're not trying to sell to the masses. No. you're trying to sell to the people that want to learn. I want. You're selling to the people that want to yeah. nitpick, and you're selling to the people that want to be particular. Yeah. You're selling to the people that want to know why. You're selling to the people that want to do it you know be an efficient caller not just sound good but why are they making those sounds and exactly and that's you know honestly you you could have probably sold more memberships and subscriptions going another route but you've also been around a long time and you've sustained and you've you know your membership is always growing and and you know you could have grown faster by doing other things and doing you know, playing Mr. Popularity contest. You know, playing to the masses, and I and I'm I'm just talking in general terms. But you know, that's that's commendable. Um, but it it speaks for kind of the type of guy you are. And I mean, you truly do geek out on this stuff, and 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 you truly take it to a level of nerdiness. And I mean that in all due respect, and a great like like pat on the back. Like I'm glad, you know, there's someone out there that 
takes it that far because it's you know there is a whole segment of people that could care less they don't care no and, it's and, true. and they may be great hunters and great callers and you know they don't care okay but then there's this whole other group that really want to learn and really want to know what they're saying why they're saying it and you know how to elicit certain reactions by by you know making certain sounds and um you know your doorway principle and 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 some of the things are are truly groundbreaking and revolutionary and and um yeah it's it's just just fun stuff i've i've really enjoyed having you on the podcasts um you know over the last couple years and and um you know it was fun down gould's turkey hunt i mean there's there's things i mean you and i would get i i wish we would have mic'd up for some of it because we would get in arguments about this that and the other and your opinion and my opinion and we'd be arguing and then mario would look over and you know he speaks about half english and he'd you know he'd be like you two are crazy what are you arguing about now Mar- mario speaks a heck of a lot more english he that he wants to let let on oh yeah and he's just smiling <laughs> at both of you and i arguing about this that or you know which roost tree are they going to be in and why and it's you know an hour-long conversation of why i think it's going to be this tree and you think it's going to be that tree and which way are they going to fly down and you know those are the kinds of things that we argue about like no they're going to fly this way and they're going to do this and then chris is like no they're going to fly this way and do this and most of the time you were right of course (laughs) (laughs) what a turd (laughs) uh hey um I, i i do have to say I have no affiliation, but I did, um, I think last year, the Bo Brooks um, single lady, that single read diaphragm, I think I told you that I really liked that um, uh, mouth call. And and I have to say, I really, I still like it. Um, And there's another call that I've discovered about a month ago, and I'll, I'll start playing with it more. I've just been so busy with fishing, and probably once I get back from um alaska but um jason phelps (laughs) who has made some diaphragms in the past and i've used a bunch of them but i've never been able to say that i take them and they're in the starting lineup you know i've been so high on the um carlton uh hs which uh i I think hs even changed i don't even think they're making the the infinity latex single read that i and i i I got like a hundred of them and i still have a bunch um, but Jason Phelps created this uh, amp orange. I'm looking at the package right now. Light cow slash calf immature bull, and it's an orange call, single latex. And he's got this like I don't know some sort of dome, which you know the old Primos had the. Yep. yep. What was it the Sonic dome, and then there was the pallet plate and all that. But I have to tell you, and have zero affiliation with Jason Phelps. I've had him on the podcast. I've met him a few times. He's seems like a great guy and i've met his wife and seemed like seemed like really nice people actually judged a calling contest years ago and he he was entered this goes back way back but um i have to say this call um is pretty darn good and very very consistent for me um it's the closest call that i've been able to use since the uh, to get the most consistent, like spot-on sounds, since the Primos Hyperplate, um, the old red and the old blue, 
Imperial, I think, or I forget what the, the red one that Primos made with the palette plate. And that's when the palette plate was a square design, yep. meaning the roof of your mouth, it wasn't curved. It was square. For whatever reason, that fit my mouth. And, you know, mouth calls are like shoes. I mean, they fit everybody differently. Everybody has their own opinion. But I'm pretty impressed with this amp um, orange call of Jason Phelps uh, for my cow calling. And I'll be doing some more videos and stuff on my Instagram and, and you know, kind of maybe I'll just do one so people can see what I'm talking about. But pretty impressed with it. I don't know if you've had a chance to mess with them, but um, that Bo Brook single lady last year was kind of my go to. And this year it's going to be a tight race between, um, you know, those two calls. Well, the, I'm trying not to laugh because, yeah, a uh, couple things. One. Yeah, no, I, I, same, likewise, I am not affiliated with Jason at all. I like Jason a lot. Um, I think he's been doing absolutely an incredible job lately with, especially his mouth diaphragms. And all I am going to say is he is making a call for me that we will see if it, uh, if, if this, if it, I, it literally should be here in Colorado right now. I'm trying to get a hold of it. Um, he and I have gone back and forth on playing with a just a. It's a mouth diaphragm. There's no frills about it. Just different field. Yeah, the right stretch for yeah. you, and it and, works for you. And really and cool. I've had similar experience with him. Him, you know, trying to get a stretch and for years. And I'm just telling you, whatever. And I even told him this on this on this orange call. Um, that's pretty dang good, man. He's... I I will uh, if if this cu- if this turns out to be like I think it's going to be, I may send you one to play with. <laughs> uh, you know, for me, it's it's all about consistency, and it's it's about making that sound when the pressure's on oh. and having it be spot on. And 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 like I said, I mean, f- mouth calls are like sh- you know boots or shoes. Everybody's got a different opinion, and everybody's foot is different. Everybody's mouth's different. But everybody out there knows the importance of being able to make that perfect call at the right time and not have any hiccups, not have any hitches, and be able to hit the exact tone, exact you know tonal quality, um, and, and getting that perfect pitch and sound out there. And um, I'm kind of excited about it. Well, it's I, yeah, so am I, obviously. But I, it is funny that you and I both kind of, circle back and landed on that because i played with his tag notcher lat his tag notcher mouth diaphragm was my go-to last year and it, and it wasn't because i told him i was going to use it or what i just i had i think three or four different i mean from primos to well it didn't matter i had a i had all sorts of different mouth diaphragms in my little pouch and that one came out a lot and i mean i leaned on it heavy and i loved it and so yeah i he's been doing a really good job and so I think people ought to take a look at it. Again, I'm not getting a dime for it. I just I think yeah. he makes a great product. So, yeah, and 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 it's it's funny. And I mean, I know I know everybody that makes their own diaphragms. You know, from from large manufacturers to mom and pops. Like the challenge is reproducing it. And you know, I've got two calls here that they both sound great. The 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 question is, can 
it the challenge is they can't hardly seem to be consistent and i think that's been a, a problem with call manufacturers for years is you get a batch of calls you get a batch of latex and it sounds great you change anything you know this the, the the stretch at all or the latex changes and it's 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 hard to get that consistency and you know i've i've tinkered with his calls for years and i've just never been able to take one and say this is in the starting lineup like this is my go-to call but this this one might be this year this one and bo brooks's single lady right now are, are my favorites uh are you still on the steve chapel trophy wife um yeah. for external oh, because yeah. i i just can't seem to find anything and i'm curious if you've found anything i it's still my go-to. It's still at the top. I mean, I've got several of them. They they all have just a little bit different sound, but you know. Yep, I'm gonna. I, they're right at the top of the heap. That trophy wife external read call is is my go-to external. Yeah, see, I, and I've got both. I like the I like the matriarch, but you, there's you're absolutely right. There's not. But but when you came down in unit nine two years ago with me, you liked the trophy wife. You're back to the matriarch now, or you just you have a particular matriarch. I use them both. I if I want to if I need to, I I probably will say this. I use the the matriarch, which has a wooden barrel. I use that one if I want to do my average just normal calling. But when I need to step it up a little bit, I'll grab that trophy wife because it's got that. I don't know if it's acrylic or just a polycarbonate, but anyway, it's a, it's a hard plastic and it, it's just got that little bit of a different tonal quality to it. But I'm, I'm like you that so far there, in my opinion, um, I, but uh, let me take a step back. There are different styles of open read calls. There's ones that have a, a wide read and then there's some that have a skinny read. Some people prefer a skinny read. Some pre- people prefer a wide read. I prefer a wide read. And in my opinion, no one makes a call that even comes close to touching what Steve did with Rocky on those. I mean, they, they, yeah, no, they're, they're, they're awesome. So I need to actually pick up a couple more just to have, just like what you said, just to have a couple different ones, just to have a little bit of different variety. My trophy wife though is, I mean, I I'm hard on my equipment and so that thing's been abused. So yeah, I need to get a couple more, but yeah, for me, open read, uh, single, single, single read, open read is still Steve's calls, the trophy wife and the matriarch. I still lean heavy on the old Primos Hyperlip double with the tone converter for my assembly muse and, and those soft, subtle sounds for a mature cow. Nothing even comes close to being able to do assembly mew with, with any other call other than that Primos Hyperlip double. I still have that double that you gave me, and I remember you when I was blowing it in camp, and you were jumping up and down going, yeah, 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 that's it, that's it, no, 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 not like that, yeah, yeah, and and you were, I would blow it, and it's funny, because with that particular call, I couldn't hear with my own ear the difference, I'm usually pretty good, I have a pretty good ear, um, but I, I I did some recording of it and I could hear it I could hear it once I recorded it and listened to it back. Um, just I don't know if it's the vibration the the depth of the of the tonal quality, um, and and then you even cut some even custom kind of holes in that tone converter, yeah. that that you know, 
it, it, it sounds pretty dang good when you do it. For yeah, sure. no, I, those are those are my calls, man. I mean, that's those are the ones I go to. And, and people have asked me about my bugle. Um, that was a homemade jobby. And uh, and actually, some people were asking me about it lately. Um, I just used a – there was a particular kid's baseball bat, plastic baseball bat that I used because the baseball bat was – it had a perfect diameter, and it was really thick wall, real hard, hard plastic, so it, it came out awesome. Well, apparently – figures they don't make that thing anymore so i'm like well crap so now i really now i'm like oh geez i don't i now i really don't want to lose my bugle but um it was just a homemade jobby you know but um i really like that primos mouthpiece the blue reed system because i still use a mouth diaphragm but you can use it through that but um dude i mean if you get a set a set of calls that you like and that sound good and you have confidence in man it goes a long way in helping you have the confidence to effectively call and, and, and again, if you know what you're saying and why you're saying it, man, you pull out the right call at the right time, you know, whether it's a double read or single read or with a mouth diaphragm, golly, it's just deadly. It's just deadly. Yeah. And it's, it's exciting to, um, you know, I know we did some series last year but it's exciting to get feedback from people that's, you know, and I know you get it a lot. It's, it's, I love it when they say, Hey, you and Chris were talking about X, Y, Z and this, that, and the other. And, you know, I tried it or I did it or, and it really worked. And, and, um, it's great to see success that, you know, things that have worked for us, um, and things that haven't, that we can pass on. And, you know, everybody's got different opinions and different styles, but it's fun to see when something that clicks for us, um, you know, clicks for somebody else and, and then they're able to pass that on to someone else. Um, cause you know, we're all a brotherhood and, um, it's just nice to see that for sure. Yeah. And did you get, I'm, I'm trying to look here. Someone, someone sent me a message and maybe they did it with you too. They wanted, they had a question for you and I about what we did with our camera when it was raining I didn't get it. Okay, well, we, we can answer it in another, another place, but... I would just say in that scenario, I'll, um, I'll just take Dar's camera on that day that it's... <laughs> that's how I handle that. Part of your camera. <laughs> yeah. No, that, for me, that's, that is one thing that sucks, and there's been times where the camera goes back in the... You know, I've got a little bag, and I put it in my backpack, and especially in a certain pocket that I can keep it waterproof where it doesn't get banged up, but... No, I mean, it just, sorry. It, 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 I mean, this whole podcast has been random, but um, it was one of those things where it, it came up and I was going to get a hold of you anyway, but he, he literally referenced the podcast and, and said he was, he listened to the podcast and loved the podcast, but he had a question. Dang it, I'm trying to find it now. Oh, I feel, I, if you're listening, I'm sorry. <laughs> but yeah, for the cameras, if it's raining, it goes in my backpack. I don't want to ruin it camera but yeah yeah i mean it's better to to really i was gonna say it's it's actually have it i would much rather have a a little bit of a sprinkle and have it be damp than dust yeah what i do when i know it's going to be raining is i will take a plastic bag um and i will try and like almost like hover it over just so that nothing gets wet um Preferably, if you have a black bag over a white trash bag, that works better. It, I know that's real elementary and just like barbaric, but you know, 
I always have a trash bag in my in my backpack or my fanny pack or even in my my cargo pocket in case a rain comes because you can always just put it right over the top of everything now if you're trying to film and record I go and you do get a little crinkle on your audio and stuff but you can actually just cover over the top of the camera a lot of the showers we get in Arizona you know may be hard at times but they don't last very long um, and uh, so that's how I handle that nice nice what oh goodness gracious dude I just got an email I mean no lie we're sitting here talking about this. I just got – I'm going to forward you a picture. You should see this bolt. This guy just sent me an email regarding the strategy app. <laughs> you should see this bull. Anyway, I would, I'll would. i send it to you. We could, we could have another – we need to do another podcast. That, I, dude, I want to I wanna talk to you about some of the stuff that we that I've seen up here this week. I mean I, I, it's been another great uh, week up here in Rocky Mountain National Park. Um but it's where I always come for the, the my summer. One of the places I come for my summer monitoring, and there's been some changes in the park, and there's been some changes in, in elk distribution. Um, but I've kind of got some areas nailed down. And last night, in these past couple of days, we've just got some killer vocalizations. I got a, another cow bugling right. Sm- I'm just basically looking right in the camera and just cranking it. It's awesome. It's, it's- that's awesome. I can't wait to hear it and uh, see it. Um, on the elk module, I, I've got kind of an exciting thing going on this um, fall. I am actually taking the season off from guiding in Arizona for elk. And I am going to Jackson Hole, Wyoming. And I am going to witness and observe uh, elk rutting in Teton National Park and um, Yellowstone National Park and it's something I've wanted to do for a long long time and uh, it's uh, it, I'm, I'm really looking forward to uh, just the interaction that I'm going to get to witness and guys are like oh it's not going to be the same well it's a different experience um, with an animal that I love and it will be really cool I think to get to see them um, you know with 50,000 of my foreign friends with big <laughs> long camera lenses as well but uh it's just something i've always wanted to do so i'm doing it this year and i'm super pumped about it and uh should be i should be able to learn a lot just by just by watching these elk um in a different environment than say on public land or even on private land that are you know huntable populations um so i'm i'm super pumped to get to yeah do you're gonna it. have fun you're gonna have fun yeah I'm going to be there from beginning to end, basically, and I'm going to get to kind of monitor the whole rut, and it'll be really interesting to see how they interact um, in the park because I haven't I haven't been able to witness. Where that. when are when are you heading there, Eugene? September first. I'll be there all, right. um, all of September and all of October, and uh, it should be a should be a hoot for cool. sure. Cool. Yeah. No. That, that, I'm very curious to see or to hear. Uh, let me let me know when they start when you start seeing the first actual breeding um we've got you know here in rocky we've got numerous times where either kelly or i mostly kelly has filmed bulls breeding cows you know september 6th you know to september 8th so really early and i can tell you what i'm seeing out here now we've got a lot of big big calves and some of the calves 
have literally lost their spots already to where, I mean, they're just, they're just big, big body calves. The thing that was pretty cool for me lately is, is last night, there's a cow steps out of the willows and I'll bet you her calf had to be no more than two weeks old. I mean that, yeah, wow. she was barely, I mean, it was just barely able to, I mean, it was probably. So, I mean, that's like late October. Oh yeah. So how do you go? And that's the thing that I'm curious about. How do you go from a situation like this where here we are in a, in a park where the bull to cow ratio is, I mean, you, you can't get much better. There's no hunting in here with not for bulls. So the bull to cow ratio is awesome. And the body condition of these cows is awesome to where a lot of these cows are getting bred early. But then all of a sudden here you have a cow that she, I've got to believe either she didn't take on the first go or she, her calf got killed. No, well, no, I mean, I, well, I, either that or either she just didn't get pregnant on the first estra cycle for some reason. Maybe the bull was shooting blanks. I don't know. Or maybe her body condition wasn't that great to where she missed that first estrus cycle and came in late. But yeah, no, seriously, I sat there and I'm like, holy moly, you're a... So do you know if, if, a, if a cow elk, if she gets bred and, and, you know, I don't know what the exact term, but if she loses the baby, will she cycle again or not till the next yeah, year? Yeah, no, 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 no. Yeah, not till the next year. All no. the, the vast majority, I don't think, basically, well... Let me put it this way. First two trimesters, there's not a lot of growth. It's that last trimester where you get most growth. And so that first trimester, especially, she gets bred. I don't know if that's a very interesting. Because you know how like our turkeys, if they lose their clutch, they'll, they'll, re, they'll, they'll, yeah, you know, but, go in, they'll reproduce Yeah, but again. not that's, that's, that's a short gestation. Yeah, completely, exactly. Completely different reproductive strategy on small yeah on a bird but yeah no elk they are they have a long-term investment so it's a long pregnancy fairly long pregnancy and then a long-term investment in a single calf so um no if, if the only thing would happen is if something happened you know say she came in she cycled first you know came in september and got bred and then got pregnant i can't even imagine other than maybe disease sickness or something or maybe some you know she could eat there's there's some plants that have some toxicity that might cause her to abort that fetus but by that time no that the the estrus cycle the window the the photo period window i think it'd be completely out and she'd just be barren she just wouldn't give birth to a calf so this this is a situation where she just either did not get pregnant you know the bull bred her but then she just didn't get pregnant or she just missed that first estrus cycle somehow. Either she just wasn't in a place where there was a bull and so she missed, or her body condition was poor enough to where she didn't have percent body fat and so she skipped it and admit, and then cycled in a second time once she got that body fat. But I, yeah. but yeah, it was just really interesting. So when you go up to Jackson Hole, it'd be just interesting to see what you see up there as far as timing of breeding. I'll keep you posted. Um, it's been awesome having you on. Uh, we we bounced around. We covered a bunch of different little topics here and there. I know we can get a little more focused and cover some specific, um, you know, things. And if you're listening out there and and want to hear, you know, specific answers to questions that you might have, you can send them to Chris or I, and uh, we'll try and get them answered for you. Um, Chris, 
congratulations with the um, updating of the app and, and all the great things going on with the elk module at Row Hunting Resources. And I look forward to next conversation. I know you're going to go out and do some observing tonight. Um, and so enjoy that. And uh, yeah, anxious to, to do it again and, and uh, see some of your, uh, hear some of your uh, findings. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. I mean, I, yeah, and for those listening, yeah. Jake, what did you, it was like this afternoon, you're like, hey, you want to do a podcast? I'm like, sure. What time? Oh, I don't know. This afternoon. Okay, let's do four o'clock. Boom, done. And there was that was literally the. I didn't even give you a, a, anything what we're going to talk about. And, you know, sometimes I, I really like just, just you know, just chewing the fat and spitballing and just, yeah. um, you know, I feel like sometimes people want to just hear a little bit of conversational talk just as if we're driving down the road, you know, chatting at each other. Yeah. Um, so I appreciate you coming on and, uh, yeah, keep up the good work. Uh, I want to give you a chance to let – the listeners know how they can follow you and, and find you if, if uh, this is their first opportunity to hear yeah, you. Yeah, just go. All of our stuff is just under Row Hunting Resources, R O E Hunting Resources. The website just rowhuntingresources.com, but Instagram, Facebook, uh, YouTube, same thing. But yeah, definitely check out uh, check out the website, the new update on that, especially some of the, the folks that are listening that are members. If you know, I know that you've probably been logged in already, logged in already but yeah. Let us know what you think. Let us know if you like it and uh, because we're constantly tweaking it for you guys. But if there's anybody that's new listening that wants to check this stuff out, by all means, just remember, you know, you've used J. Scott podcast. Um, it just knocks that 20% off the subscription price. So use it, you know. But, um, yeah, let us know what you think. And if there's anything in there that you'd like to see, and I'm still building more videos. I've got a pile of them to get through when I get back from this trip. And then, uh, yeah, it's gonna be a it's gonna be an interesting fall. Like I said, I've got uh, uh, two relatives coming out. One of them is 15 year old uh, kid that is on his first big game hunt, as far as elk hunt, I should say. So it's gonna be a, it's gonna be an interesting season. So I'm I'm looking forward to it. Well, that's awesome. Yeah, I look forward to the next podcast. Maybe we can dive into the weeds on some on some stuff. And uh, yeah. yeah, keep rocking, buddy. All right, brother. You too, man. All right. All right, God bless. Enjoy yourself tonight, and um, don't get trampled by those. <laughs> no, hopefully not. Hopefully not. But, yeah, I'll let you know how it goes, man.